Welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast curated for curious faith discussions. Last week, we released our first documentary-style podcast on the journey of making a film called Church 2. This week, I wanted to encourage you all to watch this film. It is available right now at the End It Now North America Facebook page, and it is the culmination to last week's podcast. You'll find a lot of answers to questions you might have had in last week's episode. So please check it out. I will leave the link in the description. And once again, it is a brand new documentary that'll be an incredible resource for you and your church. It's available at End It Now North America Facebook page. This week, I wanted to share with you all a short interview with one of the guest speakers from that documentary, Dr. Steve Tracy, on the theology surrounding domestic violence and the question of forgiveness and the strive towards better pastoral care for victims. Dr. Tracy is author of a book called Mending the Soul, Understanding and Healing Abuse. Dr. Tracy and his wife, Celestia Tracy, both work to provide resources to ministries and churches to help them find healing in Christ. You can find out more about their ministry and resources at mendingthesoul.org. We want to thank the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible. If you're not already following us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, be sure to find us at the handle at Advent Next. I'm your host, Kendra Arsenal, and you can find me at the handle at Kendra Arsenal with an X. But this is Advent Next. Uh, but maybe we can talk a little bit about forgiveness as we wrap up kind of our last section on sexual abuse. Like, what is forgiveness? And uh, do we often teach it in a biblical manner? Yeah. Good question. I, I would have to say, I think we often don't. And part of the problem is it, it's a surprisingly complex idea in scripture to the extent that you, you always have to compare scripture with scripture to get a, um, a, a proper perspective of any given biblical doctrine. You can't just take one text and let that be the end of the say. Um, some texts in scripture describe forgiveness as in terms that I would, in English, call reconciliation. For instance, Paul in 2 Corinthians, in probably talking about the man that they had put under church discipline because of his sexual sin, um, says, uh, admonishes the uh, Corinthians to now forgive him and restore him. So you have texts like that, that pretty clearly in the context, we're talking about reconciliation, but you have other texts that are not talking, from the context, we can tell it's not a, a relational reconciliation kind of forgiveness. It's, uh, you know, whether you call it psychological or internal, but uh, it's, it, it's, you know, letting go of bitterness, it's, um, it's more what I do between me and God. So I can forgive an evil abuser regardless of whether they've, whatever they've done or not done in terms of repenting, making things right. I can still forgive them in the sense of letting go of my bitterness, extending appropriate grace, praying for them. But that's, that's a different kind of forgiveness from reconciliation. Those are two different things. And I think scripture if you, if you take, if you look at all the forgiveness passages, you'll find that um, 
they don't all they don't all describe the same thing. You have to put that together into a whole. So when we ask someone to forgive their abuser, we have to clarify, okay, what do you mean by that? Are you saying forgive in the sense of, of entrusting him or her to God, not trying to get revenge, um, praying for them, etc.? Okay. Or are you asking me to reconcile with them, even though they're still dangerous, have not repented, and I, I could be re-abused all over again? Those are two very different things, but typically we don't clarify. And then we kind of throw the you know, ultimate scripture weight and say, you know, Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brother, then God won't forgive you. So there. I mean, that's how it feels to the victim. And wow, what are we really asking of them? Yeah, I think that's great. I think just really having a, a, a better understanding that forgiveness does not mean I had a lobotomy and I don't remember anything and I need to put myself back in harm's way. Exactly. And especially with domestic violence, right? So as we talk about this, I think one thing that the Christian church deals with that's maybe a little bit different than the secular church is that we often place the institution of marriage above the safety of women and children. And we say this, this institution needs to be upheld at all costs, regardless of if you're putting your life in danger. So on that note, what are some ways that maybe we don't have an accurate understanding about what the Bible says when it comes to abuse? You know, uh, is it grounds for a woman to seek safety? Um, what are some ways that maybe texts are misused that are inappropriate? And how can we do a better job maybe ministering to someone who says, uh, I'm being hurt by my, my uh, husband at home? Yeah. Um... Well, maybe I, I would even go, I think I could start answering that by going back to the forgiveness question. One of the misconceptions about biblical forgiveness is that it means there are no consequences. So mm -hmm. if, I, if I forgive you for your abuse against me, it's as if it never happened, there are no consequences. Um, because if I exert consequences, then I haven't really forgiven you. That is not biblical couple examples. Our readers who are familiar with the Old Testament will remember the children of Israel, um, God promised them the, the, the land, um, land of Canaan, and they wouldn't just accept his promises, and they sent in spies, um, and they said, yeah, it's amazing land flowing with milk and honey, but there are these giants there, and we can't go, and so basically they, they disbelieved God's promises and they murmured uh, and only Caleb and Joshua were trusting God so God basically the consequence was okay you're not going to trust me you're going to murmur like that this whole generation is going to to die off and you will not go into the promised land but what's interesting in in that text in the old testament is uh they finally came to their senses and, and basically said we were wrong, but God still didn't, and God forgave them, but he still, still didn't let them go into the land. Mm -hmm. Similarly with David, there, there was a consequence. Um, David sinned against Bathsheba and, and Uriah and the nation. Um, we see in 2 Samuel, when he truly repented and confessed his sin, God forgave him, but then he said, Never the, God says, nevertheless, the child will die. So 
as it relates to domestic violence, no, I can have an, a, a forgiving heart and a biblical heart toward uh, someone who's abused me in, in a domestic violence context, but that doesn't mean I don't put up that there aren't consequences, be that calling the police, be it uh, leaving home for safety and in some context, even divorce. Um, I, forgiveness and consequences are two different things. What are some of the, you know, uh, uh, one, what's an example of, of domestic violence? What's an example of that type of abuse? And, you know, when somebody comes forward and says, hey, uh, this is happening to me, what are some passages that are sometimes maybe misused in those contexts? Yeah, um, domestic violence is essentially uh, is most basic level. Um, the, the use or threat of use of physical power uh, against someone that I have a family relationship with or, or an intimate relationship with. So it could be a sibling, it certainly could be a wife, it could be a um, girlfriend even an ex-girlfriend. Um, so it's the use or threat of use. It's important that we understand domestic violence isn't just physically assaulting someone. Now, obviously, if I hit my wife, that is domestic violence, and the law defines it as such. But it, it also involves the threat of use. Scripture, many times, particularly in the Psalms, describes abusers who uh, I think it's in Psalm, I think it's 73, uh, loftily they threaten oppression. There, there's an arrogance where they just delight in threatening with their words other people, uh, threatening what they're going to do to them. Well, we know that just neurologically, it, honestly, it, it can have the same effect whether I physically assault you or whether I threaten to assault you. If you feel threatened, that can be just as harmful psychologically. Uh, and it is important that we recognize that, that domestic violence includes the, uh, the, the threat of, of harm as well. Um, and it often involves uh, control. A phrase that um, has been used recently in the psychological literature is coercive control. Um, that this hyper control, and it's most often the man doing it. Men have more physical and often social and spiritual power, certainly in most cases physically, um, where they hyper control um, their partner. Um, and that can definitely be, uh, by my understanding, domestic violence, even though it may not often or possibly may not ever actually involve um, you know, a physical assault. Um, but it's that control. And again, um, we see that in scripture. A biblical example, um, and it's actually the first case of uh, domestic violence uh, in a marital context would be in Genesis uh, chapter four. You, and you have actually two, two accounts of domestic violence there. The first is fatal homicide, brother on brother. That's the assault. Um, and it's I think it's quite significant. This is only the first chapter after the fall. So if anyone wonders whether a domestic violence is really that common in a fallen world, in our world, yeah, that just <laughs> it's one chapter after the fall. That's significant. 
But later in that same chapter, you have this guy named Lamech. We don't know a lot about him, but he th and he's the first polygamist. He threatens his two wives, and he makes this really clear threat that um, if someone wounds him, he's going to destroy them. And why would you tell your wife, if anyone messes with me, I'm going to absolutely annihilate them? That to me is domestic violence. Um, he is clearly saying this to his wives to intimidate them, that basically you're gonna get the same thing this other guy got if you don't do everything I say. So, biblical example. What are some, uh, you know, what are some passages that maybe survivors or, or victims of abuse might be reading or might have had said to them that, that have been harmful and that might not be the best context uh, for, for abuse survivor to hear? I, I think Malachi 2.16 is probably, well, at least on my list, one of the most frequent. Um, and we typically, it's just half the verse. God hates divorce. Uh, so many times I, I've seen a woman who had been in a horrifically violent, destructive, harmful uh, marriage and she flees for safety and she's told by Christians, well, don't you know God hates divorce? As if that's the, the end of the discussion, um, implying you, you have to go back. Saving your marriage is more important than saving your life. They don't say that, but that's kind of the implication. Um, so that, that's a really common verse that's misused against survivors. Just real, real briefly, it's pretty important to note the context here is Jewish men, um, including priests, who were apparently abandoning their wives seemingly for younger, uh, in some cases, foreign women. And in abandoning their wives and children for someone else, they, in that patriarchal culture, that would have would have really put them at uh, tremendous jeopardy, you know, in terms of just their, their very livelihood. So that verse is given to men, not to women fleeing. And that this is one of the hardest verses to translate in Hebrew, but, and so you'll find different translations in different Bibles, but I think a good translation is, God hates divorce and the man who covers his garment with violence. Mm -hmm. That's that's one sentence. So act, instead of this being a passage that actually should be a club against women, it's it's yeah quite the opposite. It, it's a passage that really condemns the abuse against women by men, and the reason God hates divorce is in that context is because of what it does to the vulnerable. That's, that's the whole point. It's, it's has nothing to do with God hating, hating it when women have, have to flee for their protection and safety. That's simply the opposite of what the context is about. So you wrote an article on uh, like the clergy response to domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And so what are some of your recommendations about like, how should people in spiritual leadership begin to respond when these accusations uh, arise? Maybe just a, a, a few examples. Yeah. Um, 
terms of healthy responses, uh, um, as we noted earlier, take every um, allegation seriously. Um, you don't, you certainly don't imply or ask questions uh, regarding, well, what did you do to make him mad? Or um, implying that somehow it's, it's her fault. Um, that, or let alone going to the uh, male-female roles. Uh, you know, you just need to be a more submissive wife and take care of his needs and this wouldn't happen. And I mean, that for some of us, that sounds really crazy, but I've actually seen that um, all too commonly. So yeah, we want to take it really seriously. We want to think in terms of protection and we don't want to imply um, that somehow um, the woman or children are, are responsible for, for being abused because there's simply, there's simply no excuse. Um, yeah. And there's a, a specific verse that spoke to me. It's a very out of context verse that I think for me was very, it spoke to me in the moment, but it was, I think, it, I don't know if this is in Leviticus or if it's in Deuteronomy, but it is the law regarding the bull that gores and the responsibility of the owner of that bull. Okay, if the, if the bull gores somebody and somebody dies, and that's the first time that it happened, then, you know, these are the consequences. But like, if this happens again and somebody dies, or, or like, actually, if somebody's just injured, but then if it happens again, the person dies and you knew that this bull had this potential and this uh, inclination to, to be this way, um, like you're going to pay with your life. Yeah. And it was, such a, <laughs> it was such an interesting passage that spoke to me about the responsibility of recognizing a pattern and then making sure to put myself out of harm's way. Because at some point, the responsibility of my life of staying alive, right? Uh, I think God values that more than he values a, a situation that you find yourself in or a relationship, whether it's a marriage or whether it's a, a girlfriend-boyfriend thing. Like at some point, you know, the protection of your life is very, very uh, paramount. And so, and that God values that, you know? So it was Absolutely. an interesting thing that spoke to me, but. Oh, that's a great text for that, Kendra. Um, you know, as Christians, we should be pro-life and pro-life because scripture is pro-life, but pro-life doesn't just mean um, that, that we fight to protect life in the womb. It means all life is sacred. And we need to think of that in an abuse context. Uh, when people say, well, you know, it's wrong for this woman to leave because marriage is sacred. And my response is absolutely marriage is sacred. 42 years on in marriage, I, I've had the joy of living that out. But I'll tell you what else is sacred, life. And sometimes in a fallen world, one has to give way to the other. And that's most unfortunate, but life is sacred. Life is sacred. Yeah, and that's a great text to support that. What's uh, So as we wrap up, I know our time is limited. Can you give us some resources um, that people can begin to educate themselves on this matter and, and get them more familiar with better ways that they can address that, whether they're a friend to a survivor or a victim or whether they're leading out in a congregation? Yeah, um, there are, thankfully, there's, there's a growing number of, of good resources that, that address domestic violence. Um, 
readers could or listeners could go to our manythesoul.org website and I've got some both articles downloadable they're free uh, as well as some you know bibliographies of, of resources. Um, my book uh, Mending the Soul gives an overview of abuse in general so that uh, certainly would give a biblical, biblical framework for abuse including domestic violence. Uh, in terms of a real practical understanding of abusive men. I really like Lundy Bancroft's book uh, entitled, Why Does He Do That? Inside the Minds of Angry and Controlling Men. Uh, Lundy does not write from a Christian perspective, but he has spent a couple decades as a clinician working with abusive men, and he understands the mindset of an abusive man. I and he's written several books, um, some for, for women in terms of uh, who've been in a domestic uh, abusive relationship and uh, how to protect their kids. So I, I would recommend definitely anything he's written. Uh, Al Miles is an, a Hawaiian pastor uh, who's written uh, one or two books on domestic violence. I don't have them in front of me, but Al Miles, um, very helpful. Um, I mean, those would, those would be a couple of the, uh, the starters. Catherine Krager, um, she's with the Lord now, but she wrote a couple, couple different books um, on domestic violence, different chapters, you know. And you have some great articles. Like, I, I, I love the articles that, that you've written uh, regarding this. So, Mending the Soul, uh, checking out the articles on your website, Al Miles, Lundy Boncroft great book. I recommend that as well. Uh, I just, any last words? I know we're, we're running down the clock, but any last words that you have? I thank you so much for being with us today, but leave us with some last thoughts. Yeah, uh, it's really my joy. Well, I, similar to, to sexual abuse, I, I would come back to the idea of redemption. Um, the thought that our, that our very salvation in God's wisdom, only the God of the universe would come up with such a plan that God would use physical abuse and actually virtually every kind of abuse. But in our discussion here of domestic violence, threats, as well as the you know use of physical force against someone to hurt them, our, our dear Lord experienced the full utter weight of that on the cross. So he understands what domestic violence survivors experience. And no, it wasn't in a domestic violence context, but he understands the shame of being abused. He understands the mockery, the powerlessness. He understands the physical assaults. He understands all of that, the, the sexual humil humiliation. He was crucified naked. And, and we know that roughly 50% of domestic abusers, uh, part of that abuse is sexual. Uh, marital rape. And so I would just remind everyone listening to this, if you've experienced domestic violence, Jesus exper experientially understands, and it was his very abuse that can be the means by which your abuse is, is healed. And that gives me such hope. Satan does not have the last say here. Abuse is horrible. It's horribly destructive. Um, but God delights in taking the worst and flipping it upside down and, and bringing good out of it. And he wants to do that. 
um, for all of our listeners. I hope this conversation has been healing for your own journey of faith, and hopefully we have supplied some resources to begin helping you and your church open up about these types of conversations and create spaces for people to share their trauma and be part of the healing work of Christ. If you're not already following us on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, be sure to do so at the handle at AdventNext. Now, once again, I want to encourage you all to check out the new film, Church 2, at End It Now North America Facebook page. I enjoyed my time with you all. Please stay tuned and see you next week.